Hey listeners, how's it going? Uh, this is just going to be a quick little, as of this recording, the, the website's back up, so that's good news, right? Uh, we're sorry for all the downtime. There's obviously a big dump of reviews and news and everything happening right now as we get caught up, so I'm not really going to recap it and just get right into the episode proper, especially since I'm dropping this a little late. I'm sorry. I've been a busy human. Anyways, uh, here comes episode 196. And, uh, yeah, enjoy some Random Encounter. folks it's greg back with more random encounter um as you may have noticed our website's been having issues as of this recording but uh we're still doing stuff although we had a lot of technological issues just trying to get this going in general too so we're just the the random the rpg fan curse is just running through all of our technology apparently but we're here and we're here i am joined from some lovely folks for 196 i've got uh, my wonderful host co-host rather as always john o logan hello everyone Yes, as we co-host this all together, we've brought back Hillary Andreff. Hi, <laughs> good to be here. And we're glad to have you. And then, as always, the lovely Joe Padilla, they are here as well. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for coming on, both of you. Uh, I always love having your voices on. So uh, let's dish, let's talk about stuff. Um, again, apologies everybody out there for the downtime of the website. It is almost resolved, thank goodness. So... Uh, yeah, hold tight as of uh, this recording. I mean, you might be listening to this in the future, and everything's fine, which is great with our beautiful, shiny, wonderful website. It's just really In which funny. case, pretend that we said nothing. Exactly. Just skip this. Everything's been working great. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It's been it's been a perfect rollout. We're so thrilled with our uh, with the web host we've had for a long time, and yeah, it's all great. <laughs> right? Okay. Oh, them. Um, and uh, yeah, exactly. It's just funny coming on the heels of last episode where we were touting the new look and everything. And then it's just like, and <laughs> At yeah, the new look is real minimalistic. It's just like a white screen that really has nothing on it. As of right now, there's a nice message instead. There is. I just noticed that today, which is great. It's just saying that oh. there's um, you have choices and that stuff will work out eventually. And there we go. Well, it's uh, a hosting hiccup. These things happen. They unfortunately do, and real hard this one. But hey, we're moving things. It's mm-hmm. getting along. But hey, Hillary, you're here because you wanted to talk about uh, Iron Danger, which came out back in March. Yes. Um, how's um, that play? What's that about? I don't know anything about it, actually. So I'm really excited to talk about it, and that's why I'm insistent about being That's what on, the show's for. <laughs> because I... I want to give this one more coverage, basically. Um, it's got a pretty interesting premise, pretty interesting mechanics. I've had a lot of fun playing it, so I thought I'd share. Um, basically, it's set kind of in a Nordic, slightly Vikingish past. Um, it's based off a slightly old Finnish story that's very Im- important in their culture called the Kalevala, which is neat. So the story is loosely based on that. Um, 
And the premise is that you have these Northlanders who, in, in this version in Iron Danger, are very mechanical, using technology to some creepy effects, and they're invading. Um, and your main character, uh, a young lady named Kapuna, it starts with her village being raised, attacked, um, and she ends up encountering this Orlith spirit, which is sort of a spirit of the land that wants to help with this threat and heal the land. Um, so you go around after that collecting shards of the Orlith, accruing magic power, and it's a strategy game, which is yeah. pretty cool. It has a look of like um, like Divinity, Baldur's Gate, like that isometric kind of style, but mm-hmm. it plays more strategic. So yeah, like how does that shake up things? If you look at a lot of the screenshots, you might notice um, a heartbeat bar at the bottom, which is interesting. So the battle plays out in kind of an isometric, more real-time way, but the really neat, more strategic mechanic is that those heartbeats are a unit of time, and Kapuna's power is that she can fast-forward or rewind time to turn the battle in her favor. You die a lot, (laughs) and you have to rewind and fast-forward to kind of figure out what the enemy's doing and what you could do differently. And does it feel like it's, uh, like, does that, I guess that's core to the gameplay. Like it doesn't feel like you're breaking it or cheating by doing that. No, so it's core. It, yeah, okay. you absolutely have to do it. So. It's not like a get-out-of-jail-free thing. Like in, uh, I find Three Houses, that's more what that time was thing was in that, where it's like, uh, I kind of made a big mistake. Let's roll back and try again. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different from that because I really like how they use the environment too so you can roll back and make all sorts of changes you can you know put some debris in the enemy's way you know arrange your your you and your ally a little bit more strategically sneak instead of you know charging in whatever it is you need to do and you can do that as much as you want it's not just like a single rollback and you control how much time i mean there's a limit to how how far back or forward you can go but yeah i was gonna say there must be something that stops you from abusing it so to speak right but within a a certain like reasonable parameter you can go just a split second or a little bit further so it's really neat and kapuna she's a strong character I i like her i'll say that too and it's just nice to see a good solid kind of strategy rpg type game with an interesting new mechanic so does the story back it uh, like is it as compelling as the gameplay um i'd say it's pretty compelling it's i'm almost at the end so i haven't quite beaten it yet but i'm i'm very interested to see how all these final battles will play out because you have these warring forces like you do in a lot of you know kind of epic stories and kapuna's found out that Whoever wins, they might end up abusing power. Minor spoilers there. Um, so it's like she just has to king make and pick the best choice kind of thing and yeah, the well, circumstances? I won't spoil what she does, but the right, Aralith spirit kind of reveals a little bit more about what's going to happen. And she, meanwhile, is mostly concerned with, you know, the everyday people like, like her. And her allies are, some of them are also everyday people. One of them is a really neat kind of mystical healer lady. Another one of them is a warrior for one of the two sides. Um, Because when she originally escaped, you know, she obviously went to the safest place and he's with her the longest. So they interact well and it's an interesting story and it's, it'll be neat to see how it plays out. 
is there as much strategy in i guess like the social interaction aspect of it or is it just like you know you do the, the gameplay of the fights and stuff and then it's just story 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 and then back to that like do you get much player agency in the story direction um the story mostly just plays out and most okay. of the strategies involved with the navigating the environments and the fights. Gotcha. So you don't have much f- choice of, I guess, what fight happens because of X choice in dialogue right. or whatever. Right. Gotcha. Is it something that has like recruitable companions? Like you, you had mentioned the companion that's you know someone that's kind of with you um, for a while. This um, this warrior. Um, is there like recruitable characters, or is it more so just like? straight linearity it's pretty linear <laughs> I, I like the kind of different experiences with that um sometimes i just want to experience a game like a novel mm-hmm. and other times um kind of having more of that choice driven narrative kind of is endears me to a game but, yeah and i think yeah. because this one is backed up by this rich kind of literary history it i think it does linear pretty well I always find it funny that the most linear games are usually ones that involve time travel. <laughs> That's true. They got to break it up somehow, I guess. <laughs> you don't want too You're much wrong. freedom with your time traveling. It's like, well, we still want our story to be told the way we want it to be told, but the player needs to feel they have some agency over some part of it, I guess. Right, and, and it's it's kind of interesting the way they do it in this game because it's it's very narrow pockets of time. Like, Kapuna's never portrayed as you know, super powerful can change the entire flow of destiny or anything like that. It's just these discrete moments. But as you can see, as demonstrated through the gameplay, they can turn the tide of an entire battle. So it's kind of cool to see from that perspective. So she has the power that was given to all of us when we were able to buy the SNES classic um, and just roll back (laughs) a few moments and make Donkey Kong jump instead of fall. I do like how they've taken it from a quality of life feature into a core gameplay mechanic. Yeah. I mean, I was sold when you said time travel. <laughs> it's my it's my favorite it's my favorite uh, conceit, fictional conceit. Um, it's and so I, messy, but so fun if it's done well. Yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. Um, see, I think that there's a lot of potential too. That I don't know if this is their, I don't know if this is their first game or if they're planning on releasing a sequel at some point. But now that they get the I guess the feel of what it's like there's a lot of, i think there would probably be a lot of potential to have different outcomes to different battles branching outwards yeah it seems to be the first for um action squad but i mean data has been publishing good stuff for a while right. so the, the publisher's we, been around yeah so we know we can uh stand by that that's a good that's a good point there's a lot to build off here and that's another reason i want to kind of promote it it shows on Steam there was a graphic novel. Did you indulge in that at all? I have not yet. I know it exists, but I have right. not read it. And I would read it based on what I played in the game, honestly. I can nice. say I would be curious enough to pick it up. Is it a prequel? Is it a post-game kind of thing? Do you know much about like the, the synopsis to know where it falls? Um, I'm trying to remember because I found out about it. Like I actually previewed this at E3, <laughs> and I oh, found nice. out about it. Yeah. Back E3, when we had what's those. that? <laughs> <laughs> right, back, yes. Back in Hillary's day, there was a conference <laughs> that people would go to and come together and trade diseases and video games. Yes, in the same room with people. Yep. <laughs> um, they also have a standalone soundtrack. How's the soundtrack hold up? Is it worth like getting the standalone soundtrack? Um, I'm going to be honest. It, it really depends. <laughs> I it really you. depends on how much you are interested in kind of atmospheric music 
it's very minimalist. Gotcha. Um, it just which, it's there to do the job. Which works in the game, you know, because it's got some great environments. It's very engaging in other ways. So yeah, it's mostly I would say ambient, mostly a support. But if you you know if you want some good background, right, you could study to that. Mm-hmm. It's like it would be. Uh, would you put it up there with like the ambience of like Skyrim, Elder Scrolls, like that kind of stuff, where it's just like nice and ethereal. It's even more minimalist than that. Oh okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Because yeah, I like for example throwing on some Jeremy Soule in the background, despite mm-hmm. what people may or may not know or think about him. Uh, the music's still nice. And yeah, it's just good to kind of wake up to or lose yourself to. So there's a place for it, I guess. But it's Mm -hmm. not like you're going to sit down and listen to it like you would like HyperDuck Studios or something. Right. Just jam out. (laughs) Uh, And you were playing something else you wanted to chat about, which um, looks really cool. I again, hadn't heard about it and it's just kind of just dropped like now. Yeah. So um, the first game that I wanted to check out after the recent indie showcase was Raji and an ancient um, epic. Yes, an ancient epic. Um, <laughs> and it, it's notable because it, it's based on, you know, Hindu stories and it's an Indian epic, essentially. So really, Which really we cool. We really do not hear about at all, ever. Right. I think the you, last yeah. thing we got even close to that would have been like Prince of Persia. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I don't think it was written by... Uh... Nope. Yeah. It was so... written by someone who wanted to tap into Arabian Nights. Right. So this is a dev team in India. Um, they came up with this. It is beautiful looking. Um, I think it, it does kind of fall on the fringes of our coverage. I mean, it is pretty straight up adventure gameplay. You can kind of develop your different weapons, but there are only four of them. So, you know, limited growth in skills. But it's it's absolutely beautiful looking. Um, yeah. I know, we've gone, <laughs> I know we've gone into mythology on various podcasts before and probably a little bit in features and things in the past um but you're right you don't you don't see this body of mythology represented genuinely i would even argue because we've seen a lot of these characters like appropriated like especially in final fantasy where the world will take someone from everything to make a summon but yeah we've not seen it actually told by the actual voices of the stories right exactly and and this one is it's grounded mostly in uh, one of the old stories of Durga, who's a warrior goddess. Um, and the protagonist is a young girl named Raji who's trying to um, rescue her brother. And it, as it goes in a lot of like those old Indian tales, a bunch of demons are attacking and it's about her kind of trying to build up the strength to rescue her brother and overcome overcome that challenge and you get commentary actually at least so far from what i played from durga herself and vishnu in the background they're kind of like testing her skills and commenting on whether she's ready so it's it's definitely got these sort of like mythological epic bent to it i find it very exciting that it got this uh this rollout, I think it was, was it the second game in the indie showcase? I think it was, it was really up front. Yeah. Yeah. It was front and center. And if I'm not mistaken, kind of a surprise release. So that was a really nice, exciting thing too. Yeah. The release schedule from the indie showcase could give you whiplash. It was just like (laughs) everything that was either available in 2021 or right now. (laughs) Yes. Which is usually 
uh, seems to be um, Nintendo style right now during these more quarantine isolationist times where it's just like, hey, we can do these conferences when we want and have all kinds of shadow surprise drops. Yeah, the listeners to this will know whether or not there was a uh, Nintendo Direct on this Friday, this upcoming Friday, because that's the rumor. But rumors have made us all look like fools in the past. So in the future listener, if you're looking back and we think there's a showcase coming up on Friday, feel free to laugh at us and our optimism. <laughs> I've always enjoyed that when I was listening to back episodes of um, Random Encounter as I was getting caught up when I first became a fan of the show. And you'd have moments of like, oh, they're going to be so excited when they find out this actually happened. Or like, <laughs> man, if they could see now that Last Guardian came out, their minds would be blown and stuff like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was how that was how I was feeling when like I saw the E three coverage and that uh, Trials of Mana was getting uh, you know was coming out and I wasn't at E three but I just knew like everyone on that a bunch of people on staff Greg yourself included were probably very excited when that happened. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we'll never <laughs> we will never not get tired of hearing about uh, Solosi basically like anime falling off his he chair. Lost it. And just immediately changing every plan for Retro Encounter to shape I mean, around that release. Not just him. Amazing. Not just him, though. The whole room was just, like, the the excitement was palpable, definitely. No doubt. I mean, like, <laughs> it was just becoming such a distant thing, and then finally it happened. But anyhow, sorry, Raji. We're talking about Raji, which is great. Um, yeah, it looks absolutely stunning. And uh, does it play... Like, it's more action-adventure. Like, is it played nice and smooth? It's easy to handle? Um, I would say I would say so, generally. It, it plays nicely. The responsivity of it is good. Um, you have a lot of options in terms of different attacks you can do, um, which is good. I like the weapon choices. So far, you have um, a cool little trident thing that Durga gives you, and I just got... Um, Vishnu's bow so you have some you have some options in terms of range which is nice in that kind of game um, and I've only run into a couple glitches um, one of which was very entertaining um, I I got stuck by a stone wall and had to reset but the autosave feature works really well so I didn't lose much progress um, mm-hmm once and then someone else in the house decided to take a turn and they they were able to float over just this really really beautiful fortress setting and just kind of check it out <laughs> which was great and unexpected but probably not what was intended <laughs> and what's your favorite weapon to use um i like the bow so far yeah keeping it mm-hmm. at range yep it's gotten some great reviews too i'm looking at it on uh on Metacritic, uh, user score is 8.4, so it's re- users are rating it really quite high. I, I'd agree. I'm excited for it. I want to play Yeah, more. I'm excited to read your uh, <laughs> review once it comes down. All right. And I'm very sorry, guys, but I've got a split. It's totally okay. We'll talk to you sooner than later than later. Thanks so much for being on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we got more games because uh, John, you were playing stuff. Because last last time on the episode, you didn't really have much to chit chat about. You were just kind of chiming in, and we talked a bit about Murder by Numbers. But this time, you've been doing some early access with Rogue Legacy Two that started last month, was it? 
Uh, no, it started a couple of days ago. It was a couple of days ago? Okay, great. And how is how's that planning? Because Rogue Legacy, uh, the first is awesome. Um, it's it's an awesome game. You've has any Joe? Have you played it? I haven't played it, but I've definitely seen quite a bit about it. So yeah, it's Rogue Legacy One for those listeners who have never played it before. It's a roguelite that is a side scroller, almost a Metroidvania style, and it has a very interesting conceit. It's it, it technically has permadeath in in so much as the character that you enter the castle with, when they die, they die. But then it goes on to their, uh, their heir, their descendant, and that person goes into the castle, and then they die, and then that person goes into the castle, and they die. And as you continue playing the game, uh, portraits start to build up of like all the generations that were before you. And it's the first game is pretty simple. It's, it's basically uh, there's an evil... And there's lots of loot. Go into the castle and get the loot. And once you go into the castle, everything is randomized. The floors, the floors change. The locations of everything changes. Um, and there are, there were, a, you know, it was, it was a great game. But there were some basic things. It was, the pixel art was okay. It wasn't amazing, but it was okay. It was pretty good looking, uh, though. Yeah. Yeah, it was fine. It we did the job. Um, and. It, it did have a very punishing difficulty, but that's kind of what you want from a roguelite um, because you want to learn the mechanics and get good, and then you do, and you can get through. The bosses were crazy hard in some places. Yeah, but even just the regular run-of-the-mill enemies can be crazy sometimes. Oh, yeah, like your first run, the first person that you send into the castle, they're going to die in, like, five minutes, um, if that. Yeah, like, thanks for coming out, bye. But because, because of the descendant mechanic you get you inherit the the money from the previous generation you inherit their loot so you can spend that money on uh on building up your castle which gives you permanent upgrades um and you can spend it at like the blacksmith and the enchantress to get uh build up your uh inventory and your special abilities and this was the first game and it was pretty simple um and it was a big hit so rogue legacy 2 gets uh, announced and they're going into early access uh I got a copy of it, and I started to play it, and instantly fell back into the exact same groove that I was in with Rogue Legacy 1. Um, especially this early access version, it's 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 pretty much the same game, in the sense that they haven't actually gotten all of the content in there yet. As of now, the only fully playable space uh, with the boss is the first area of this castle. Um, still the storyline is, is very underdeveloped. Like you, there are, there are, uh, log books throughout the castle, just as there were in the first that tells kind of the story, but it's just the beginning of the mystery. So we don't know where it's really going to go. Um, everything that I described, uh, that was in Rogue Legacy 1 is in Rogue Legacy 2. It's just to a more polished, uh, it's, it's just more polished. Um, you know, same idea. You die, your descendant goes in, they die their descendant goes in um you get loot and uh the pixel art has been replaced with uh 3d renders but it's a 2d it's a 2d game but it's, it's like a flash looking kind of thing it's interesting yeah i'm not um, sold on it personally it grew on me quick um i think partially because it's done in such a way that if you're not paying attention it doesn't look like it is in 3d it looks well, snazzy. You know, it yeah they've managed to replicate the same uh, artistic style that was in the original, just in this new engine. Um, and it looks great. It sounds great. Um, 
Yeah, the last one no. had a great soundtrack. Yeah, this has a great soundtrack too. It has a lot of the same uh a lot of the same feel to it. The only problem with this, like honestly, if you were a fan of the original, then you're gonna buy it at some point. And I guess early access, it's gonna be, you know, because it's early access, they're selling it for a reduced price. So if you know you're gonna buy it in a year or so when the game is done, buy it now. You can play through, you can get a feel for it. Believe me, you'll have a fantastic time. And then eventually, in a couple of months, hopefully, the entire game will be out. Uh, and the scope of this looks, the scope that they're going for looks to be considerably larger than the first game. The first game was, I think it was, it was three or four by, it was three or four areas. I can't I'm remember say which. Four. Yeah, there was the castle, there was the tower, there was the uh, dungeon and something else. Yeah, I'm blanking on it because I haven't personally gotten that far myself in and I've only gotten to the second one, starting to get good enough to get to the second area. Yeah, it's punishing. Um, but it's it, the game is great. It uses a Metroidvania map system that continuously, you know, rebuilds itself every single time you re-enter. Now, unless you pay money to save it. Unless you pay money to save it. Um, the big thing about this game, the, big, the new innovation, because everything up to this point, I was playing it through, it felt like the original... Uh, the big innovation is the class system because in the original there were there were different classes. There was the knight, I think there was the paladin, there was uh, the mage, there was Hokage, uh, yeah, um, Viking, and, barbarian, whatever, yeah, yeah. And but for the most part, all of them played pretty much the same. They were variations on a theme. Uh, you just get this, different skills, right? Yeah. In this, there are very distinct classes. There are. Uh, there, there are four of them. There's the, there's the knight, which is the same basic, you know, uh, charging knight with a giant, with a giant sword rushing in, and they're the most balanced. Uh, they, you know, they have a couple of magic spells that are mid-range abilities, um, and they, they have a sword. Uh, there's the mage, and the mage's attack is a little bit different. There is, they can attack. Let's say, let's say they can attack two meters in front of them. Or directly in front of them, but not in the space in between them. So they're cast. They're almost a, oh, a distant spellcaster. Yeah. So it, it there's a real uh, there's a real uh, adjustment to try to. You have to figure out. Okay, so I need to attack this person here. I need to attack this person here. So you need to keep back a little bit uh, all the time. And if someone gets up close, you can whack them with your wand, but it doesn't do a whole lot of damage. And of course, they they have uh, higher MP and uh, some stronger magic attacks. Uh, there is the barbarian and as the third class, and they can't move and attack at the same time, but they are, you know, ridiculously strong. Um, and also when you jump and attack, when you jump, you, you get into like a somersaulting, a somersaulting attack with your, uh, axe. Oh, neat. Yeah. And obviously they have a ton of, uh, HP and they're super strong and they're, they're a fun class, but I think my favorite class is the ranger, um, which is the archer class, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a range class. They have very low HP, uh, but you can get back from a distance, and how can I... I'm trying to figure out how to describe this so you can use it. You can't move and attack at the same time, but when you do attack, you can aim which direction you want to fire your arrow using the, uh, using the right uh, thumbstick. So you stop, you kind of aim where you want, and then you fire your arrow. Um, and it takes a little while to get used to it. At first, it was not my favorite class at all because I was terrible at it. And then I adapted to it. 
And to be honest, it's the only class that I could get into the still unfinished second area uh, with. Um, it, the four classes feel very distinct from each other. And just like in the first game, when you die, you have a choice between three different uh, three different heirs. And the three different heirs can be, you know, any of the classes. So you do have a choice to pick your, your favorite. But at the same time, you know, you want to get good with the other ones too. Um, something else that's returned from the original is, are traits. So every generation and every new hero has, uh, I guess, a positive or negative traits. And these are like the most fun things some days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like if you, some of the positive traits, for example, could be uh, uh, you can jump super, super, super high or you are you have you have bones like a bird so you fall you kind of float down rather than fall down or you are uh super super strong but your magic is terrible but then there are the negative traits and they've done something very clever here in the original game the negative traits which were randomly put on the potential heirs were just there kind of as a challenge you could you know challenge yourself but generally you didn't unless you were looking for a challenge, you didn't really use them. In this game, all negative traits are attached to a uh, gold multiplier. So the worse the trait... Nice. Yeah, the worse the trait, the more gold you can pull in. Yeah, so before for, it was just more like fun gimmicky stuff. Like, everything's reversed. Everything's upside down. Everything's blurry outside of a certain field of range, which is fun. But yeah, it just felt punishing for the sake of being punishing. Oh yeah, and like the upside down one is, I think it's, I think it's 90... I think it's twice the goal three times the goal it, it's it's a big it's a big jump um and then there and you know nearsightedness another one i think my favorite negative trait though which is i think it's i think it's uh 0.9 times the goal is veganism um which which it sounds like a slam but it's not it's it says veganism meat is murder literally and because the only healing item in the game is uh, is a a giant piece of meat if you go into ve if you go vegan in the game there's really no way to heal yourself <laughs> that's a pretty clever trait to have it's it's this is i mean it's not really rogue legacy both the first game and seemingly this one aren't really my bag um but it, it's the traits um in the first one uh i felt like definitely could have used some could have used some work um with just how blunt they were mm. um with you know with certain ones it was like oh you you're going um like you're nearsighted or something okay um some of them like the the dementia one and um there there's another one that i think was another you know uh like degenerative disease and it's like i don't think that should be in a video game really at least like presented in this manner um that's a fair point so i mm -hmm. so I, I think that i'd hope that going into this game they kind of um would learn from that a little bit and be um, a bit less blunt but i don't really have a uh i don't really have a full stake in that just because it's not um it's not something that you know whether or not they are better about um this particular aspect of the game is going to uh, endear me to play it or not but just for people who are playing it um i think it provides a greater uh accessibility with that mm -hmm. and in terms of accessibility and in terms of representation the game is 
it's wide open. Your character, the characters are always randomly generated, uh, so they can be any race, any, uh, they can be any race, any, uh, gender. So it's, you know, you just kind of pick your hero and run. Um, right. And, and I think, and even in the first game, like one of the traits was, uh, what was just that your character would be gay. Um, and it was just like, yeah, your character is, your character is gay. And like, and that's just how it is. It's like, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like a negative or anything. Yeah, it wasn't tied it to a gimmick was. or anything. Yeah, and so it's it's kind of got that give and take of like, well, this part is pretty good. Um, I think so. I think the only thing that being gay changed was the gender of the uh, statue that gave you a the chicken leg to heal. <laughs> oh, really? I never noticed. Yeah, that. and it's like, and it's like, oh, that's like, that's just that's just like plain representation. Where it's like, yeah, some people are just going some of your ancestors are going to be gay and some of them are going to be straight that's cool like yep. and there are like some of, some of the positive traits some of the negative and positive traits did not get put into this game um some of my favorites ocd is great but i mean not in reality but ocd is great because the, the the description is you must you must break all the things so every single time you break an object which i do anyway you gain one mp and wasn't there one that like everything you were like clumsy so you didn't even have to hit it anymore you just touched it and it blew up yeah like the bull in a china shop that's here too um but i think that everyone's everyone's favorite is uh ibs which literally oh no what ibs which literally does nothing to affect your character at all it's not it's not a positive trait it's not a negative trait it's just randomly throughout the game whenever you jump or attack you'll just hear a farting sound (laughs) oh yeah Um, i do remember that one i'm not yeah, I, I don't think of I'm, I don't think I'm far enough removed from being a child to not find that. I don't funny. think anyone is because it's hysterically <laughs> funny. But I think and then when that when that character dies, they do their usual death pose like and then they fall over and then they just fart. Um, and then there's also a new trait, which is uh, essentially weaponized IBS, where you can do a butt stomp. <laughs> like like Wario in um in Smash Bros. It's it's very funny. Um, and that's an, that's another thing that this game is, it's, Rogue Legacy is not meant to be taken seriously. There actually are some stakes in the game, but it is, uh, it, it's hysterically funny. It's a really funny, exaggerated game. Um, and in terms of RPG mechanics in here, this one expands somewhat on the armor, uh, the armor and the, I, I think they are charms, um, from the original. And now you have like weight limits so you have to very carefully choose what armor you want and uh which abilities you want but unfortunately that's where it goes back into the fact that this thing is in early access right now because there are caps on how far you can build your castle and the skills that you can get because i I guess they just haven't developed that part yet so it really does uh the game really does stop um there is a second area technically it's actually hilarious when you leave the castle you enter a bridge environment and there's a book there and you open the book and it's basically the developers saying hey so game development is hard we're not done this area yet um we're just leaving (laughs) this in here to give you like a little taste to see what it's like and you can continue on through to the next area but be warned you're skipping an area so every enemy in the third area is going to be really really strong and you go into the third area, and within like ten seconds, just a dagger flies at you, and you're dead. Um, which is it? Obviously, it's tricky. 
but I mean, it's fun if you're looking for a super hard challenge, but again, there's not really anything to do in there. Something I learned after I played the pre-release version um, for the review, um, it's an early access review, so it's obviously not going to be like a final score. I'll do that at the, whenever this full version is released, then I will uh, give it a full score. But uh, in the version I played, there really wasn't uh, an ending to the game. You just kind of wandered around until you ran out of space. In this version, there actually is an ending where you beat the first boss. If you get to the boss room in the, in the, in the uh, last area... I won't ruin it for anyone, but you fight a, a spectacularly difficult boss battle. Uh, and it doesn't get you anything. You don't get any extra gold or any reward. It's re literally just the challenge of it all to see if you can if you can beat this. And I mean, I couldn't. I couldn't even come close to beating this particular boss challenge. And does that come down to better gear and upgrades? It might. The battle is ridiculously chaotic, though. It's, it's nuts. Um, yeah, because the battles are... It's like your Metroidvania-style sort of bullet hell-y kind of thing yeah it is um which is a problem with the original and with this game to a lesser extent in that you're going to die and to learn boss patterns you're going to have to die a lot um and it does it is a little annoying sometimes to have to trek your way through the first castle uh randomized first castle to find the boss room again because that can take anywhere from i don't know like 10 to 15 minutes to find it um, yeah when i had a really good run and i knew it was just a mistake or whatever. That's when I'd put out the money to save my layout. Yeah, exactly. Which is not an option in this game yet. It might be in the future. Um, but yeah, it's like I said, if you like Rogue Legacy and you want more Rogue Legacy, a more polished version of it, uh, then I would go for the early access. But please keep in mind that it is very early access. There is a lot changing. Just in the time, just in the time between when I played it and when it was fully released, there was some significant balance changes involving the classes uh, in terms of what you can equip, um, and they polished the uh, the third area that you can enter. They made it considerably smaller. Like I was just I was getting lost in it uh, when I was playing because it was massive, um, but it wasn't really offering anything new. It was just a very big space. It's a great game, though. I think there's so much potential here. I think it's going to be as good as the original. Uh, definitely. It has a lot of potential to be better than the original, as a good sequel should. So yeah, if anyone out there likes Metroidvanias, roguelikes, uh, or just like really good platformers with unique mechanics, I would give this a shot. And you, if you buy it now, you'll be saving money on the full, uh, the full version that comes out in a year. So... Do you think they're going to be adding more classes, like back more of the classic ones? Do you think just having four is more indicative of it being early access? To be honest, I'm not entirely certain. There is a lot of the castle left to go. Um, you only get up to like the first level of the, building the castle with your loot. So there is a lot of there's a lot of uh, upgrades that I haven't seen yet and are not revealed at all. I wouldn't be surprised if they have a couple of classes up their sleeves, and I think that's going to be great because. If they make the other classes as unique as the ones that are currently there, there's going to be a lot of replayability in the game just to be able to beat it with all of the different uh, skill sets. And I mean, that's the beauty of Rogue Legacy. And it, I mean, I fell into it with the original. I certainly fell into it with this. It's the classic, just one more run. It's 1.30 oh, yeah. in the morning, right but down. just one more run. Um, and, you know, that's that's what happens with this game. Um if you are the kind of person who can't stand roguelikes, if you, you hate dying, uh, you hate, like, super, super challenges, it's probably not going to be the game for you. 
but keep in mind you're expected to die the first couple of times you enter the castle within like a minute and a half, if that. Like you're going to be so far outclassed by the enemies, it's ridiculous. But eventually as you build up loot and as you build up experience, you're going to last longer and longer and longer until finally at the end of the game, your runs are going to be all the way through. It's a different kind of grind. It's a different kind of grind. And I think that the the descendant mechanic is a really nice twist on permanent progression because it kind of it does offer you permadeath if you grow attached to a certain character sorry they're dead but you know you can play as their kid and their kid might have ibs <laughs> that's fair i was gonna ask you um with it being early access because obviously rogue legacy wasn't early access we just got it do you feel this is more the developers just trying to get some early income to keep helping supporting development, or is it more a case of this is just really good field testing for balancing and such? I would imagine it's both. Um, they obviously, you know, the income is certainly welcome, um, and I, I don't know how much they're getting, but the game has gotten quite a bit of uh, press from it, especially on, and it, like a lot of YouTubers are playing it because it's like it's a perfect game for streaming, um, just like the original was. So I think that's it's going to have a really, really it's going to have a really passionate fan base and a, a life outside of itself with uh, streamers uh, when the full version gets released. So I, I, I'm assuming they're selling a bunch of them, but they were churning out updates pretty quick. Like in the time between I downloaded it and the release, there were two patches uh, and balance fixes and things like that. And then once it got released, uh, there were two more. So they are tweaking and fixing things pretty fast based on. I imagine their player feedback and seeing things that don't quite work. Like I remember reading in the in the uh, patch notes at one point saying uh, we didn't realize how powerful the barbarian was. Uh, so we think we may have made the barbarian a little bit too powerful, but you know, have fun. And then in the patch note immediately after that, they were like, "And yeah, it's too powerful, but we also underestimated the difficulty to play the barbarian and the the difficulty curve there." So. Uh, they're they're learning fast um i imagine as a developer it's got to be hard because you play a game for long enough because you're developing it for years you're going to get good at it so having outside eyes on it is going to probably create a very very well balanced game by the end of this especially if they're going to be churning out content throughout the next year well uh moving right along um y'all y'all heard about this little thing called a Uden chronicles <laughs> What, what what's that pray tell pray tell greg <laughs> well, let's see uh, what it's at now just a little kickstarter darling uh you know little indie game nothing big that only like crushed kickstarter the day it came out um yeah you didn't chronicles that spiritual suikoden successor um you know john was run, running the numbers right now he'll let us know what it's up to but like it was making gangbusters money and smashing its stretch goals like in its first few hours of even being out uh, and live so it's very exciting how it's looking to shape up i personally have yet to really sweep it in i think i briefly touched sweep it in five on the ps2 uh but i stupidly i didn't have a memory card at the time Ooh. so i think oh, i was no. i was using someone like i, I think my mom had a, a friend slash border who was staying in her house and he had a ps2 so he's like yeah you can play it and i went and rented a game from blockbuster but i was still new to that console generation so my brain was still like in sega genesis cartridges Yada, yada yada i was like yeah whatever and then i was like all oh, right you need a uh save card cool because i didn't have a playstation oh, yeah. so i missed that whole generation of how discs work and just didn't figure that out 
either way so i returned it and then later bought myself a card and yada yada but i never went back to suikoden so i don't know much about it uh but joe you've been diving into suikoden 2 and which is probably one of the ones that everyone touts to be the best i think yeah so i mean on when when i post on our social media um generally i think the series that we get that we get the most clicks and the most positive reactions to is the suikoden series if you post something about especially suikoden 2 um people people's faces just start melting off i mean it's just people really love this game and so i played the first suikoden um almost two years ago um it's basically like the first ps1 rpg i played which is uh kind of funny um yeah and my first ps1 rpg was three was two years ago even though i've had ps1 was my first console i never played any rpgs on it though um so i i was i liked the first suikoden i wasn't uh over the moon about it but i thought it was fine um so it didn't really endear me much to playing suikoden 2 but i'd always heard that suikoden 2 is just a better version of suikoden 1 and it carries some of the characters and you're really going to like it and me being stubborn i was resistant to that and then when all this hype with Aiden Chronicle was happening, I said, you know, I bought Suikoden 2 and I bought Suikoden 1. I should just give that a try. I should just finally go for it. Um, and by give it a try, whenever I give something a try, I always play it through, basically. Um, so yeah, I played through, since they announced the Kickstarter, I played and have played through Suikoden 2. Um, that's a great game, <laughs> to, to put it very succinctly. Uh, Suikoden 2 is a great game. When we had our uh, top 10 PS1 RPGs on Retro Encounter, it came in as number one. And while it wouldn't be my number one, probably, it would definitely be in the top five. Um, this is really a game with, um, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners uh, probably don't need me saying it, it's a game with a great plot. It is bursting with personality. The combat mechanics are great, really fluid. Um, I think the difficulty wasn't uh, wasn't too bad. It provided a really smooth ride. Overall, it's just it pretty much met the hype of exactly uh, everything I've been hearing for these years. I'm the uninitiated here. So how does the combat play out? Because my, my brain thinks of it as like strategy combat or something like that, but is it more traditional turn-based? How does that, how's the combat flow? So combat has basically three different operations. So there are like very rudimentary tactics battles. Um, so something like lesser than even fire, you know, fire emblem games or languisher games at that time. Um, and then there are duels, which are one-on-one -on -one bouts of just kind of rock, paper, scissors. And the real meat of the game is turn-based. It's a six-person, you get, have a six-person party. Um, and you, in all the Suikoden games, you recruit the 108 stars of destiny. So you have at least 100, well, you have 108 characters that you recruit, and many of them are playable and able to be put in your party. 
But if you're the uninitiated, as you've termed yourself, Greg, you may say, well, how do you keep them all up to level? And if you're always getting these characters, how are they keeping up to pace? Yeah, Joe, how do you do that? <laughs> well, Greg, let me tell you, they all level up really quickly. So you can have a party in the end of the game, like all five of them are, I don't know, around like level 58, we'll say. And then you find a character who's really good. Um, they might have really good stats. You like them a lot. You're like, in most games, you'd say, oh, well, I can't use them right now. It's just too late of game. Not so with Suikoden. You could toss them in your party, and they could be up to snuff um, and basically level with your party in maybe seven random encounters, eight. Um, they get up to a level, even if they're at 13 or something, uh, they'll That's get crazy. up there very quickly. So it, it really it really does make it very accessible. So if you find a character late game who's uh, just really working for you, you really like their design, you're you can just toss them in your party and they'll get up to, they'll get up to your levels and they'll be a great addition. It has to be tremendously tough for the developers to properly balance a game with a hundred and eight playable characters some of which you get later in the game to make sure that, like, some are too strong, some are, you know, properly... It, it, just the balance would be a, prop, a nightmare to figure out. Well, and that was a huge issue with, like, even Chrono Cross, which you can probably speak to, Joe, is, like, um, a lot of my friends... <laughs> Speaking of games with huge casts. <laughs> Back of my friends when it first came out, you know, their complaint was, yeah, it had all these new... all these characters, and Chrono Trigger had a fairly robust cast as well, but you got to know them all a lot more personally... So, like, in this one, everyone, they felt, was paper thin, and it was hard to kind of balance out the party and such like that. So, yeah, is like, does everyone feel like a fully fleshed out character? Like, can you invest in all 108 stories? Not necessarily. There are some that feel, um, there are some that, you know, definitely get uh, the short, the short straw in a lot of these, but... Whereas in Chrono Cross, um, the characters are like, why is this here? Like my, my final party in a, a Chrono Cross, I think was the main character, Surge, uh, his best friend and one of the other main protagonists, Kid, and then an alien. The alien doesn't really have much relevance to the plot. Uh, I think his name is Starkey. Um, doesn't really have much uh, to the plot, but I thought his design was really cute. So I tossed him in. Um, but in Suikoden, even if your characters aren't great in combat, they probably serve some other purpose. Some of them are uh, cooks. Some of them might run the, um, the rune shop, which is basically like the materia in these games. Um, others uh, might just be around for funny options. In the first Suikoden, I actually only recruited... I missed one character in the original Suikoden because I didn't find a guy named Window whose only function in the game is to change the color of your windows in the user interface, I believe. <laughs> oh, wow. And that that was the one character I missed. So you had to suffer through monocolored windows the whole game. Oh, I know. It was such it was such a tragedy, let me tell you. I just, I cried every day um, playing the it. The most Cadillac <laughs> problems. Oh, of course. <laughs> Um, but, I mean, Suikoden 2, I felt like every character, they might have been a bit of a joke role, um, but they all generally felt like they had 
some sort of role whereas in a game like cross it uh it was just like why is this character here especially with um uh the designs by uh nobutero yuki in chrono cross the creator of vision of escaflone some of them are great and some of them are just kind of terrible yep. <laughs> uh it happens when you have 45 playable ones i suppose um and you're in, and that's not quite what you were bargaining for um but the the thing that's really impressive i think with the 108 characters in suikoden 2 is how many unique animations they have i mean for every character they have a different sort of attack um many of them have different spell animations um i don't think any two of them had the same attack animation they're all very they're all different they, oh, that's cool um it really is something kind of incredible and it's not just in battle either a lot of just single use animations where you think this dev team did not need to put this uh work into just having i don't know one scene of this character uh jumping on another character and shaking them because they're so excited uh to see them that's not going to show up ever again but it's being used in this one scene because they felt it was uh imperative to have this animation i think that's important though like that's it's that level of thing though like you're still you're talking about it right like that's the important part that's they could have just fallen back on what was established in the super nintendo genesis era of having most of the words do the work and having you know a few canned animations for everybody to translate how or why something's going on but then like for myself like playing final fantasy tactics they did the same thing there's a few sequences where those amazingly animated uh isometric characters you know they'll be like handing handling objects directly to each other and you see that once or twice in the whole game it's not used in combat it's not a a catch-all animation for every model it's just it was specific to that sequence where like this person had to handle a piece of materia and then flip it over and palm it into someone else's hand or you know stuff like that and that just blew my mind how impressive that looked it was uh, that detail right. of the storytelling right and uh i mean the storytelling it really does go to the credit of the story in this because a lot of the things about this are great the the sprites, the character animations, the battle system are great, but it really is about the story. And it's it's a beautifully told story. It's poignant, it's sad, uh, it's a really excellent war story and a great portrayal of how people who even grew up together can be torn apart by forces that are outside of their control and how they relate to that and how they attempt to wriggle and writhe and try to rise above their uh, the situations they find themselves in. It's a very good story of that. And probably, while, while I said it's not my um, favorite PS1 RPG, that would probably be um, a vagrant story. In terms of a large-scale story, it's probably the most competently told, even with a a localization that was rather hellish for the localization team and it shows that there are big uh issues in the dialogue and things that just don't quite make sense 
But I mean, overall, it's just it it really is a great game, and of course, as has been echoed many many times, as it's become more available on the PSN, especially, so it's not outrageously difficult to access. Play this game; it's very good, and I don't think that you will regret it. Um, and Jono, you've played this you played this game a while ago, right? Oh yeah, years ago. Uh, do you kind of have the same feelings on it? I do, actually. It's not my favorite PS, uh, PS1 RPG, but it's it's up there. I mean, the thing that really uh, impacted me and the thing that has stuck with me throughout the uh, years is uh, the central relationship between the two main characters. Mm. Um, and the fact, like, how they are uh, how they are uh, bound together in a way and how their how their paths diverge uh, based on their choices. I thought that is a, because they start in the exact same place and then they end up in very different places and then, and then no spoilers, but then they kind of get back together at the end. So I thought that that, that journey was very uh, interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depend, depending on your ending, <laughs> depending on your ending. Yes. Yeah. I had, I had a, a, an ending that was I felt from the other endings that, I, that I've seen after finishing it, it was the ending that I liked the best, uh, the one that I got um, but it is definitely not the happiest ending um, Well, happy endings are boring anyway <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the only If like, 2020 has taught know, us anything <laughs> Yeah, like the only good ending to a story that I want in life is like, you know <laughs> is like in real life, you know <laughs> I want I want a happiness for uh, myself and the people I care about. But in my games, I'm like, bring on the melancholy. I'm here. <laughs> what was your struggle? What was it all for? Oh, man. Exactly. You need to play Fiasco. It's a great uh, RPG, tabletop-wise, uh, storytelling oh. kind of RPG, where, um, random aside for our listeners, and... Uh, Similar to, ah. like, you know, D&D kind of thing where you all sit around and tell the story. Um, but you build relationships with your neighbors. So the whole first part of the game is you're rolling a big pile of six-sided dice that then get assigned out into the theme of the story. So, for example, the one I can most vividly remember, I've played two or three times. So we did one where it was Christmas in the mall. So some of us were, like, just shoppers. Some were people who owned stores. And then it quickly grew into this whole, like, rivalry. And then it turns out one of us was a cult leader and um, you basically play out a Coen Brothers story where so many random shenanigans happen, a lot of bad stuff, a few good things, and eventually everybody weaves together to kind of make the story a whole. You know, we went to a trailer park. Someone's sister got shot and died as they were trying to escape from their cult. And then at the end of it all, because uh, through it all, you're playing out scenes with whoever and everybody else who's not in the scene gets to kind of vote who quote unquote wins the scene. And then you kind of have to improv, you're not going your way or whatever. And then you kind of tally all those dice at the end of the entire game to see like how much good, how much bad. And then that gets a rating for you to how well it ends. And even like the best ending isn't the greatest. It isn't without adversity. And then you kind of do a final like, uh, not a montage, but like a little epilogue of like, after the film, like after this happened, so-and-so went on to do this, but also struggled with this and lost a leg to malaria and this and that like... You kind of have to, it's it, basically everything ends with a minor note of like melancholy and depression, despite them doing okay. 
So mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want a melancholy story to be a part of, that's the one for you. It's funny that you say that because Suikoden 2 actually ends in a similar way where after after the main story is over, um, it shows you all of the characters you've recruited and it says what they did after the story. I'll so like it. this character went this character went back to their hometown. This character chose to continue like fighting on the frontier. This character went and lived out their dreams. This character started a family. And it, it's kind of cool to have that and be like, oh, good for you, Victor. Way to go. Uh, way to go, Flick. After everything I put you through, you earned this. Yeah, way to go. And I was guessing I'm going to ask you, so for Sweden 2, does your decisions influence what those stories are for the characters, or are they always the same no matter what? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are definitely, there are certain characters that you can only recruit by certain dialogue options, and there is, um, depending on where you go to and who you talk to, I mean, there's a lot of choice in the game. Um, And um, if you have save data from the first Suikoden, there's also a few Easter eggs and cool things to have, like uh, certain characters from Suikoden 1 that are also in Suikoden 2, have their stats and or gear from the game, um, which can be very helpful. Um, and there's a really, really cool Easter egg that I won't spoil um, concerning uh, concerning one of the uh, one of the main characters from the first Suikoden uh, game. And I, I won't say anything more about it, but it's very cool and very good. <laughs> the fact that all of the strengths of this game apparently will be coming out in this new spiritual sequel but with a more modern sensibility and presumably a much better translation is very exciting speaking of the kickstarter uh today is the 24th of august and because i'm in canada uh it has earned four million six hundred and fifty six thousand one hundred and eighty five dollars uh but i turned on my vpn so for americans that is Three million five hundred thirty-three thousand. Oh, hang on, uh, that just jumped up again. So people are still giving money. Uh, Three million five hundred thirty-four thousand seven hundred twenty-two dollars, um, and there are four days to go. So uh, this thing is raking it in. Yeah, it's it's cool the power of that sort of stuff. I was looking at one for um, wormwood tables who do like really cool fancy tabletop gaming tables that you can order mm-hmm. and they just had a kickstarter for a new line of coffee table sized ones because up until now it's pretty much been like dinner table style and even mm-hmm. then it only been out for like five days or like a week or something and they were up to like nine million dollars or something ridiculous and I'm just like oh my gosh and that was like Ooh. in excess of like eight million of like their original goal and i know the tables aren't cheap to order but it's just like well they're good <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's i don't know there's a whole big discussion to have about that and then where the money's actually going not in terms of like people taking advantage of but just like man the amount of good we could do if we kick-started other things causes to save the world you know <laughs> it would be the same enthusiasm anyways you can you can check you can check our personal social medias if you want to hear our words <laughs> there you go that. exactly uh our views are not uh necessarily shared by rpgfan.com no um <laughs> man those would be the most depressing stretch goals ever <laughs> end world hunger what would the stretch goal be like everyone gets a pickle on the side I don't know 
But like, I think that's something I would love to actually see, just to actually have a moment. To like, it'd be really neat if these big companies, when they really started hitting those stretch goals, inserted something like, "Hey, if we hit this goal, we will donate X amount of dollars to something." And I'm wondering, like, if that would make people as equally enthusiastic to still donate or not. I don't know. It's interesting. It's a possibility that they would actually start uh, getting investment from people who aren't actually interested in the game at that point. Maybe. I don't know. That's hard. That's a hard sell there. Like to someone who doesn't even have the console or the interest in playing the game, just want to give to the cause. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I know. It's at the same time, you got to ask which from the business perspective, like for this particular thing, which one would earn more money for them offering a stretch goal where they feed people or offering a stretch goal where they have a fully customizable casino for your characters. But could it be a tax write off? That's the other question Um, because of that aspect. For a second there, I thought you were asking, can a casino be a tax write-off? <laughs> and I was like, an in-game casino? I don't know, Greg. That seems pretty I'm liberal. By... You know what I mean. Uh, the, the, yeah, the donation. There we go. If the company is doing that. And I think I can see where you were saying, uh, if I rethink how you were saying, um, it would attract a different clientele base. Maybe not so much that, but it would attract people who may have been hedging to go, well, it's for a good cause. It's like, you know, how many people throw money at Humble Games? because it's for a good cause when they may not have actually thrown in the 50 bucks initially you yeah. know so it's just that same kind of idea i guess anyways that's a whole thing uh but yeah thank you um i've this weekend has been on my radar for ages and i've always wanted to go back to it although i think five is not the one to play is from what i understand um it's the longest one so perhaps not <laughs> they should put that on like they should put that on the box it's the longest one <laughs> Yeah, you can ask uh, Zach and Zach and Leona about that because they played it for Retro Encounter, and I think Zach said he put like seventy five hours into it. <laughs> so that's there. That's my fun question for you. What's uh, what's your longest play time? What what game? <laughs> that isn't an MMO. That, is <laughs> that isn't an MMO. Um, well, actually, it isn't even my longest one. Isn't even an MMO because um, I have <laughs> I have put. 600 hours into pokemon white that's a lot of hours <laughs> my gosh what were you that's doing that's a whole lot of hours you shiny hunting i was hatch that's a lot i was hatching eggs i was the the fifth gen was when i really started getting into uh competitive battles and tournaments um so i was just hatching so many eggs and it took so much longer in those games than it does now in eighth gen it is truly staggering, um, and I still have some of those effects in, like, 7th gen. I was joking with a couple of people on staff about, hey, do you need a nearly perfect gibble? I have 130 of them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Pokemon White. Hmm. I can tell you what I suspect is going to be my game that I spend the most hours on, and that is Yakuza 7. <laughs> Like, how how long have you played in the previous games, on average? Uh, previous Yakuza games? Uh, 60 hours, usually, on average. But you think you're going to... I'm not go, a complete... You're not a big completionist? No. Well, I am a completionist in the sense that I, I, I like to see all of the content that's offered in a game. But uh, I'm not a completionist in the sense that I want to learn how to play some of the more complicated mini-games involved in Yakuza. Oh, that's fair. I mean, for me, I think it was... Eff- ff12 for the longest time i think i sunk like 150 hours into doing all the hunts and stuff like that um which also severely overpowered me by the time i got to the final boss 
Johnny, you mentioned uh, Yakuza. I mean, there's a new one on the horizon. Oh boy, is there. Um, yeah, uh, it just was announced uh, that it is coming out on November 13th on uh, PlayStation 4, PSX, theoretically, maybe PC, and then it'll come out on Xbox uh, Xbox Series X and um, PlayStation. Why did I have a hard time remembering the name of PlayStation 5? What's that? What's the new PlayStation console called? PlayStation. It's the fifth generation six? one. Dang. Ah, I just can't put my finger on it. Uh, it comes yeah. after four. I swear it. I swear I've had four of these before. <laughs> um, at some point they'll. At some point they'll reboot and they'll just be like, it's just PlayStation. I hope Again. they aren't going to do the Xbox. Oh thing. my gosh, that'd be terrible. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, the game's coming out on the thirteenth. I mean, anyone who listens to this knows that I'm super excited for it, and anyone who follows RPGs should also be excited for it because it is a turn-based RPG, uh, in the style of Dragon Quest, but set in modern-day Japan with Yakuza and has Yakuza's trademark sense of humor. The game looks ridiculously incredible, in my opinion. Um, it's gotten some, you know, it, it got great reviews when it was released in Japan, I suspect it's going to get similarly good reviews when it comes out here. Yakuza games are usually fairly well uh, reviewed. Oh, it looks great. Um, I am, I mean, these games just keep getting more fantastic. Is is it still using the uh, uh, modified version of the the, uh, the Dragon Engine from Judgment and Yakuza 6? Uh, yeah, I think it's using the same engine, obviously with a few uh, tweaks. But even the in-game battles, they the animations look very, very similar to uh, classic Yakuza games. It, it, it looks to be a perfect mix of Yakuza and turn-based RPGs like Dragon Quest. So, yeah, I think it's still using the Dragon Engine, which still looks okay. It doesn't look amazing, but it looks, it looks pretty good. Yeah, I think the art style is quite good, and it's... Um, I'm very excited for, for it to be this turn-based system as i think a lot of people are um i mean that's such a uh a shift in the gameplay away from what it usually is and i'm just excited to uh if you've seen any trailers you get to summon a particular care beloved character from the earlier series uh like a gosh dang bahamut and it's uh and it's pretty cool it's really cool (laughs) Yeah, anyone who hasn't played a Yakuza game, this is, looks like the perfect jumping on point because it features a few characters from the original series, but more as cameos. It tells a brand new story. Um, a nice thing about the combat in this game is, oh, while it is turn-based, it still looks very, very active and fluid and still has that trademark uh, Yakuza style. So I don't think that it's going to be particularly slow or like just people just kind of staring at each other while the active time meter fills up. It's going to be... It's going to be Yakuza. It's going to be nuts. Is the Tojo clan in crisis again in this one? I'm going to take a wild guess and say yes. So the, they're you know what? related. I'm going to toss out the wild card and say no. The Tojo clan's not in crisis? <laughs> the Tojo clan's... No. <laughs> oh, well, f- this game then. Screw that. I would, I'm it's going not to bring Yakuza it's, game. It's not a Yakuza game anymore. Oh, my God. I, I can take a change in battle system. That's fine. I can take a change in genre style. But if the Tojo clan is not in crisis, it's not Yakuza. I swear to God. At <laughs> uh, any rate, uh, thanks for listening to us, everybody. Uh, Joe, thanks for being on the show. 
Well, thank you for having me. Always. It's nice having you on. I mean, as much as you're a fantastic host, I also uh, enjoy being on the show with you. So that's great. Um, as always, Jono, glad to have you as well. Thank you very much. And yeah, we have other things people can listen to. Uh, there's Retro Encounter. We had some recent episodes of Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga has dropped, uh, which those are good games. So it's always fun to listen to. Uh, and I think they have their big 250th episodes coming. Were you on that one, Jono? I, I was. You were? Okay, I thought so. It was a fun fun discussion because you had some cool stuff on there, which we won't spoil. But uh, either way, it's I'm sure some fun stuff was talked about on there. Mm-hmm. I had a blast with it. Mm-hmm. They've been asking for all kinds of listener mailbag stuff and everything, so that's really fun. Uh, which, uh, for that note, we're coming up on our 200th episode of Random Encounter, which is nuts. It's four episodes away as of this recording. And uh, I would love to get, again, some more user mail and maybe just some ideas for how they want us to uh, ring in the next 100 episodes, I guess. <laughs> we have some ideas that we're kicking around. We do. But, uh, We'd love, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you can email us at podcast at rpgfan.com. And uh, you can tell us all about your thoughts and hopes and dreams for the 200th episode and any thoughts you have with the show moving forward. Uh, you know, Joe host all the time. Sure. Uh, whatever. I, no, I will happily take a sabbatical. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can, I can fill in, I can fill in, but I can never, but I can never, you know, stand in your shoes, Greg, probably uh-huh. also because I have smaller feet, but that's beside yeah. the point. It's a matter I'm a 10 and a half, 11. I don't know where you're at. Oh, I'm a, uh-huh. I, I'm a nine, yeah. nine, 9.5. So, oh, there we go. We, uh, either way, I do want to get more, um, more diverse voices on the show. It's one thing I want to really keep prioritizing. So, uh, other podcasts are rhythm encounter. That's still a thing. You can still listen to back episodes of that uh, if you want to listen to some great RPG music and themed episodes around that. Uh, that ranges from back when Derek and Stephen Meyerink were, that made them sound like they were a couple, Derek Hinesberg and Stephen Meyerink they were hosting. <laughs> and then Caitlin took it on with our fearless leader, Mike Salbato, and everybody else has kind of jumped in on it. And yeah, it's it's still there. It's in the works. We talk about it from time to time. So here's hoping uh, it might see the light of day once again. But again, the episodes that are there are great. We have our uh, little uh, alliance with uh, the Phoenix Edge podcast, so you can go listen to Hat and Eric discuss current events in the RPG community there as well, and watch their live cast. And uh, aside from that, that's that's really all there is to it. You know, go go to YouTube, see what we got going on there. Uh, I know John has been busy recording some more of those fifteen minutes sort of early moment of the gameplay stints for us, which is great. Oh my god, it's been so much fun. <laughs> I just I'm just revisiting all these games and I, I I'll tell you, out of all the games, the best first fifteen minutes I think ever made in video games, no exaggeration, is Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. Oh my god, is it good. It just brings you right in. It's so we got more of those to look forward to and uh we'll keep going with reviews and stuff, and especially once the site gets back up and running, that'll be broadcast on the website as well. Um and hopefully I will have some more time for future stuff. Uh, coming up because i have some some thoughts uh otherwise uh go check out twitch we stream there a bunch and uh thank you so much for listening everybody for myself hillary joe and as always my co-host jano take care